Well, like I said, we're, we're in the middle of a series uh, that we're calling the Big Questions. And Easter, we kicked it off, and we did a message on why Jesus, and then we did another message called Why the Church, and then we started answering your questions last week. And, and so this is one, and we just kind of put them on a table and said, okay, what are the big four thoughts? And this one clearly, immediately became one of the big, clear thought questions, and that is, why does God allow suffering? Why does that happen? And, and, and so we're going to talk about it. You know, we all have questions, the what's up with that thoughts. Uh, and so we're just trying to ask them. You know, we're trying to use this as a springboard. And there's a text. And today the text really came alive for me um, as we've been sharing every week what our key text is. But I think today it makes even more sense. And it says this in Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, which try to wrap your mind around that, right? In the beginning, <laughs> you know, the that God without beginning started something. You know, there, there's a big idea there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here's, here's what I draw from, draw, drew from that this week, is that God has a master plan. He has a master plan. Matter of fact, he, know, he knew exactly how things were all going to roll out before it even happened. That's one of the things about who God is, that he sees beyond today into the future. There's, he's not limited by this time. It's, a, it's an incredible aspect. So he has this master plan. But there is a lot about his plan that I don't and we don't fully understand. Would you agree with that? We, we just don't fully understand it. I mean, the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. There's as many questions in that verse as there are answers because I don't fully understand or comprehend the bigness of who God is and what he can do. And so his existence, his wisdom, his power, his purpose are really, as much as I hate to admit it, are beyond my understanding. They're beyond my ability to fully comprehend it. It's, it's as though I can't really grasp it. I just get a glimpse of it. I just get a little picture. And even though I would like to know it all, how many know-it-alls are in the house today? Come on, right? I would like to know it all. The reality is I can't. The reality is, is I can't comprehend this. And, and so we have ideas, and today we're going to talk about some of the ideas and some of the thoughts about who God is and how we're in relationship with him. But we, we have these ideas, but we truly view God through what is called in Scripture a glass dimly. If you've ever taken an old-fashioned Coke bottle and tried to look through the end of it, that's the picture. That we can kind of see shapes, we can kind of see ideas, we can kind of see, but we really can't see. And so we're living in that moment right now where we're looking through a glass dimly. And so the question today is one I think most of us struggle with at some point or another. You might be struggling with it right now. Um, I, I think most of us, this is one of those all-inclusive questions. It's one of those questions that why does God allow suffering? And we all can say I've experienced to some degree, to some point, some kind of suffering. And so it becomes very real to all of us. And so it's, it's a big question that I think wrestles and, and, and rolls around in our hearts on a constant basis. And so how do you, how do you come to grips with it? And see, many, many of us have wondered in our hearts, why did God allow that to happen? Ever asked that? Why did God allow that to happen? happen? Or, or why, does, why, why didn't he step in and stop the tragedy? If he knows everything, why didn't he just stop just jump in and just stop it. Or, or why didn't he do, and this is a common one, why didn't he do what I think, in quotes, a good God would do? 
Why didn't he do that? Why, why wouldn't he move? Or, or the question for today, why does he even allow it to happen? Why does God allow suffering? I came across a, a quote where somebody worded it very well. It, it goes like this. If God is all-knowing and he's aware of everything that goes on, if he is all-powerful, then he can correct or prevent anything from happening. He's completely loving. He cares about everything that goes on. So what's up with that, that there's so much suffering? Isn't that the question? Isn't that the question of many of our hearts? And I've heard people say, I don't get it. I don't, why would God allow this? Why would God be there? And personally, and I don't want to dim, diminish any of your stories, I've experienced suffering. You know, Our daughter was killed in a car accident when she was 16, and there was a deep cut that happened. Many of you have experienced worse. Many of you have went through things in childhood that would be intense suffering. Maybe you, you, you've seen things or you've been a part of things. And there's these suffering moments that all of us experience. And we try to wrestle with, how do I deal with that? How do, how do I make sense of that? How do I come to a point where I can move forward and still be happy, if you will, with God? How, how can I come to the point where I can say, I still trust you, Lord, even though I don't understand you? How can I get to the point where, Lord, all the chaos and all the pain of what's happening in my life or around my life or around the world or all those kind of things, I can still say God is good. How can I do that? How can I come to that point? And that's really the question today. And I, and I think here's the, here's the issue is we have a problem in our understanding, okay? I'm just going to be very honest. But we have a problem with our understanding. We see through a glass dimly, but then we also have a problem because we view God poorly. We have a poor view of God. In other words, we have a view that's not accurate of who he is. And so, you know, some of the poor view thoughts, here they are. I didn't put them in your notes. You can write them down. We view God as a heavenly policeman, you know. He's got that two-foot, three-foot flashlight. He's walking around. What's going on over there? (laughs) You know. And any time and every time he sees something, he's just waiting to pounce. You know, he's just waiting to correct it and fix it. And, and he's not a heavenly policeman. That's not God's character. There's an aspect that he does see, but he's not walking the streets to make every wrong right. That's not God. It's a poor view. Here's, here's another one is that we view God as an angry, moody, somewhat crazy judge. Right? That he's, he's somehow unfair. He doesn't really get it. The justice of what he's doing isn't quite right. He's got way too much power, and he just kind of messes with it a little bit. He's, he's angry. He's moody. He's unfair. He's the judge, and he's considering every case of every life with sometimes leniency and sometimes with harsh judgment. Doesn't seem fair. And, that, and that's not God either. God's not an unfair, moody, angry judge. He's actually very fair. Matter of fact, he's 100% fair, even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes. So, so here's another one. We view God as a sweet, loving grandpa. He's a little senile, and, and he, he, does, he does what only a kind and encouraging grandfather would do. Every time you see him, he pulls out a dollar and says, here you go. You know, right? Today's world, every time you see him, he pulls out a five. You know, you know, inflation, right? And so, but that's not God either. He's just not, you know, walking around, you know, oh, child, you know. And we have this picture that's just not accurate to who he is. It's a poor view. 
Or here, here's another one. Is we view God as being the absent-minded professor. You know, hair going crazy. The Albert Einstein image that you get. You know, that he's detached. He's uninterested. Things are flying by at 100 miles an hour. And he's totally unaware because he's so focused on what he's doing. That's not God either. And so we get these poor views of who God is, that he's not a heavenly policeman, he's not an angry judge, he's not a loving grandpa, he's not an absent-minded professor. That's none of God's characteristics at all. He is, though, sovereign. Meaning, even though I don't understand it fully, he's over it all. Even though I don't fully understand it right now, in this moment, in this room, he is over your life 100%. He, he, he sees all that is going on in you and around you. He, he's sovereignly there in control. Now, he might not necessarily be as active or moving in the ways you think he should, but he is sovereign. He is wise. In other words, he doesn't have a moment where he goes, I don't know what I should do here. He doesn't have moments like that. He doesn't go, oh, well, I really screwed that up. He doesn't have moments of regret. He doesn't go back and say, wow. That's, that's not a good decision, like us. He's, he's 100% wise. He's, there's wisdom in God. There is, there is this idea, and this is a big one. God is eternal. See, we get wrapped up in the moments of today, but God is not wrapped up in a moment. God is eternal. In the beginning, before anything else was, God was. He created us with this eternal capacity. God is eternal. God is, here's one, God is unchanging. He doesn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to be something different than I was yesterday. God just doesn't do that. I mean, so these are the things, but so we have this poor view of who God is, and we tend to put that upon who he is or who we think he is, and we miss this idea of understanding. So here's another thing that happens. So that's the first one, we have a poor view of God. Second thought is this, is that we often jump to misconceptions about what God, what is going on. Anybody ever done that? You, you guessed what was going on, and it was inaccurate. <laughs> you had an assumption of what was taking place, but it wasn't right. And so we jump to misconceptions. And here's usually the big two of the misconceptions when it comes to this particular topic, is we jump to blame. God did this. You did this. I did this. When in actuality, it's possible that none of those are true. But we jump there. We jump to a blame. We want to find somebody to put the, the, the responsibility on. Whose responsibility is this? And we get, we get heavy with that idea of blame. And, and that's just a misconception many times to what's actually happening. Here's, here's the second one. So we have a misconception conception because we jump to an attitude of lack. And as I was praying through the message this week, and this one I felt like for some of you here today, this is the big one. As you jump to this place of lack, and here's what it sounds like. God doesn't love me because he's allowing this to happen. I lack love. Or, or, or God doesn't care. I lack care. Or, or, or God is unable, that somehow God in the midst of my situation is unable. And we jump to this idea of a misconception of lack, and we actually miss out the fact that God is not that. God doesn't care, and actually it's the big lie. If I suffer, it means that God does not love me. And if I can tell you one thing today, if you suffer, that is not the absolute truth. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite many times. He does love you. And so 
So the idea behind all that, and I already mentioned it in a prayer, is my circumstances do not accurately define God's character. Before we get into anything else, my circumstances do not accurately define God's character. But so many times we look at our circumstances and we deduct that that's who God is, and that's not how it works. And so we have to wrestle with this big idea about God. So as you explore the story of God in Scripture and begin to consider the purpose and the place of suffering, you realize that it has many different types, if you will, of suffering. There's all kinds of them. Some of them are really, really painful, and some of them actually have a redemptive side to them. Matter of fact, all of them in God's hand can have a redemptive side. And so there's these types of suffering. So let me give them to you. Real quick, I listed six. Here's, here's the big one, all right? The big one. This is the big one. This is what happened with the earthquakes. This is what happens when we die. It's the big one. It's, it's the one that covers all the rest of them. And actually, all of them actually come in some degree or shape or form from this one type of suffering. It's this, suffering because of brokenness. We're all broken. We're all broken. We're all broken, and we live in a broken world. It says in Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read a lot of verses today. Romans chapter 8, verse 22, it says, For we know that all creation has been groaning. Have you ever, can you relate with that? <laughs> Life feels like a groaning thing. Oh, this is painful. Ow. There's a groaning. It says groaning as in pains of childbirth. Now, I'm not going to try to picture that for you. But it's in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Which is an interesting picture because it's the picture that realizes that in the midst of this suffering that something else is happening at the same time. In the midst of the pain. That somehow something else is taking place. And so we experience suffering many times because of the effect of us just simply living in a broken world. And some of you might say, and I've said it before, why didn't God create a world without brokenness? Right? And that's a fair question. Why didn't God just create a world without brokenness? The answer, he did. And then it was broken. And so because God did create a world without brokenness and he wasn't willing to just say, oh, well, he still had a master plan, we live in the midst of that plan. And so the idea here is that brokenness is a huge part of the story. And that free will and brokenness go hand in hand. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time about free will, but free will and brokenness go hand in hand. God gives us the opportunity to choose out of grace because without that, there really isn't a a choice to respond in relationship. And that's a whole other topic. And so here's an interesting thought. We live right now between the trees. Okay? The trees of the... The garden, God said to Adam and Eve, he said, here, you can eat of that tree, but don't eat of this tree. There was two trees. And then they chose to eat of the tree that God says don't eat of. And immediately something happened to them and to us in that moment and to all of creation. All of creation stepped into the groaning process because of what happened in relationship to that first tree. And so all of us live between that tree and the next tree, which is actually the tree in Revelation that is called the tree of life. There's only one tree in Revelation. There was two in the garden. And we live between the trees. And between the trees is brokenness. And between the trees is a lot of suffering. But between the trees, there is still a plan of God. God's plan that was initiated before it was broken 
and the tree of life that is to restore it. There's all this in between, and you and I live right there in the midst of this broken idea. There's two kinds of brokenness. Let me just give them to you right quickly. There's natural brokenness, which is death, which is decay, which has actually happened right now in this room. All of us are decaying. That's kind of disturbing, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's just part of the fall. It's part of the brokenness that we live in. Disease is part of that natural. Disaster is part of that. All of those things are part of natural brokenness, and we're all experiencing it. But there's another side of it, and it's called moral brokenness. And some of you experience this. It's things where there's wars. That's the big thought. You've got wars. That's moral brokenness. Violence. Some of you experience violence. It's because of moral brokenness. Some of you experience abuse, and it's because of moral brokenness. I was actually reading some studying on this t- these thoughts, and one writer wrote and said that 95% of all that is broken and painful and suffering in our world today is the result of moral brokenness. I don't know if that's exactly true, but I think it, it's worthy of thinking about. But there's this idea of brokenness. So the first big one is in all of the rest of that we're going to talk about hinge on this one idea. We are in a broken time. Okay? Here's, here's the second thought. Is suffering is because of me. Me. Sometimes we suffer because we simply make really bad choices. I thought maybe somebody at that point would say Amen. We suffer because we make really bad choices. It's a self-inflicted pain many times. The proverb says it this way. It says, if you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. If you scorn wisdom, you're going to be the one that experiences the suffering. Let me give you a very practical thought of this. If I'm standing on the cliff and it's a 40-foot drop and I'm thinking about whether or not I could drop, roll, and get back up and say, look at me. That might not be the greatest decision I ever made, right? So jump, ouch, <laughs> I made a decision, I cho- a, a choice. And so many times that's part of where we're at in life. So me, here's another one, and this one's really hard to get our minds around. It's suffering because of timing. Timing. See, throughout the Bible there were times when God was actually silent for years, a couple times, 400 years. 400 years of silence. 400 years when the Egyptians were uh, torturing, basically, the Israelites as slaves in slave labor, suffering, killing their children, suffering. And God was silent. God was, there was a timing that God was doing in the midst of that that somehow didn't make any sense because there was a a moment that was happening and that that people, us sometimes in the middle of God's moments of timing, we suffer. Not even necessarily because of anything else other than it's just the timing of what's going on. Let me give you a New Testament example. John chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus and Lazarus, and, and, and they came to him and said, Lord, and this is what it says, Lord, if only you had been there or been here, my brother would not have died. And what really they were saying is, we've suffered so much because of your timing. 
And that's, that's a hard one to get a hold of, that God maybe is in timing. So here's the truth, though, that needs to go with it, that sometime in the midst of God's timing, there might be something bigger happening at the very same time. That in the midst of what maybe is bad timing, God might actually be doing something bigger. And we're just kind of caught up in the moment of God. That's, that's our true reality. So those are the first three. And then you kind of start shifting gears into more of a redemptive work. Here's the, here's the first one that's more redemptive in thinking. is suffering because of testing. Testing. Sometimes suffering is a result of God allowing our, a painful or difficult situation as an opportunity to prove our faithfulness and trust in God. In other words, God is saying, I want to test you to prove you. And it's going to have some pain involved in it. That you would be proven as one that is trusting me. And, and I think God already knows that we can do it because he says that he's not going to put us in a position that we can't. He's going to put us in a position where we can succeed. And so he knows what we can handle. And he puts that out there. And see, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. And so God, knowing that, allows some of these things that take place. The story of Job, if you've ever read the story of Job, Job was this man-after-God's-heart kind of guy, everything going well. And there was this conversation in the heavens about whether he was that way because life was good or was that way because of his heart was right before the Lord and trusting him. And the Lord says, I know that it's because of his heart. And he allowed the testing to take place. And he was proven, it says, and Job said it this way, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. He knew it was happening in the midst of it. So suffering because of testing. Here's another one. It's suffering because of preparation. Sometimes what we are going through is actually preparing us for something to come. That God is allowing the suffering to get us to a position to create a platform, a position and a platform. That somehow because of the suffering, I'm going to be in a position, I'm going to be in a platform where I can do something that I would never have been able to do if it wasn't for that which I'd gone through. And the example is Joseph. Joseph was sold as a teenager by his own brothers. That, that's a little painful, right? I mean, you know, my own family sold me. Threw me in a well, left me for dead, and then, you know, picked me up, said, sell them to those guys, and said, see you later. That's, that's pretty painful. He gets to Egypt, and, and he ends up being accused. He goes through the process of being accused by Potiphar's wife for rape, and he didn't do it, so now he's falsely accused. He ends up in prison. I mean, it wasn't a, a nice thing. I mean, things weren't going well, and all of that was preparation for something that was to come. He was being positioned. Being positioned. And it says in Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, You intended to harm me. He was speaking to his brothers, his family, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. It might be that the suffering that you're going through right now isn't even really about you. I can look back and I can realize that. Now, 12 years, 13 years later, after our daughter died in the car accident, the, a big part of that that God used in the painful part of it was this right here. That in the midst of what, what happened in the suffering part of it, in the moment, I couldn't have told you one thing that was good. I couldn't have told you one moment, one thing. I, as a matter of fact, if you would ask me, I would say it's all stupid. 
Anybody with me? It's all stupid. But looking back now, I realize that God was doing something in me. Not that he had to do that to do that, but I mean, he, in his wisdom, again, I don't fully understand. But there was a preparation, and, and I can honestly stand before you here today and say that the passion of my heart to be something that is real and true before the Lord was elevated. The compassion that I have for people that are hurting was elevated. There was a positioning that was happening in my heart that I didn't even know was happening. Matter of fact, at the moment, I would say, I wish this would go away. But now looking back on it, realizing that God was doing something really cool that was bigger than me. And some of that's right here, right here in this moment. But maybe somehow God was preparing. Here's, here's the last one, and it's this. Suffering because of sacrifice. Most people never get this because we're so selfish. We get so wrapped up in who we are and what we're doing and how we're living and how it's affecting me, and we never get to this highest level of suffering because this is the highest redemptive form of suffering is because of sacrifice. That, that and Let me just read a scripture. Paul, example. Here's the example. Paul in the New Testament, who used to be this guy that was killing Christians, and God met him on the road to Damascus, changed his life, he was blind, and he had a guy go and pray for him so his eyes would be open again, and he had a, a, a new purpose in life, if you will. And here's what it says. It says, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message, to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Notice verse 16, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. In other words, there is a suffering that is a righteous, sacrificial suffering that is purely for the purpose of someone else. And see, sometimes we, we want to run away from that and we don't even want to remotely consider that maybe I would go through a suffering moment that somebody else in some time, in some way, would come to a place where they have relationship with God, that the message would be proclaimed. That's suffering at a whole nother level matter of fact jesus talked about that 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 he had to endure what he said he said father if you can take this cup of suffering away from me he said take it away from me but if it not be able to take it away in other words if it won't bring about the result that you want to bring then lord let this baptism of suffering come on because it was sacrificial and it was redemptive and so there's this idea within the text or thought today that even though it's painful, there might still be God's working in the weaving of what he does in the middle of it. So well, how do, why does God allow this then? Why does God allow? So let me give you, let me say one, two, three, four, five things. Why God would allow suffering. And again, suffering often has that redemptive purpose. And even though it's sometimes hard to see it in the moment. And I don't want to be up here today thinking that just get this and you can move on. I, I, I know the pain of the reality of what it means and feels like to hurt. I know that. But somehow I've got to get a little bit of perspective so it doesn't destroy me. 
Somehow I've got to get a little bit of perspective so I can still trust that maybe somehow, some way, I don't even know how it can happen, that God would fulfill what it says in Scripture, that he would use things for good somehow. And so hopefully that happens today. So even though it's hard to see, suffering is not necessarily in God's perfect will, but it's often in God's permissive will. And we can wrestle with that all day, but I think that's true. So here's, here's the, the five things. One is that suffering can bring much-needed direction. Proverbs 20, verse 30 says, Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> Sometimes it takes a painful experience to get our attention. How many of you are like me? You're just a little hard-headed. Right? Wow, God has brought us all together for this moment, right? We're just a little hard-headed. God, knowing that we're hard-headed, would allow, if he would, if, if I'm going in a wrong direction, would God then allow something that was difficult or hard to bring me into a right direction? The answer would be yes. And so God would do that. You see, suffering many times can bring this correction that we desperately need that we would never give ourselves, but we need it. And so life tends to have that way of bringing it about. And sometimes the only lessons in life, the only way a lesson in life can be learned is through pain or failure. I mean, like me, you say that the greatest lessons of life to this point have been because it was painful. (laughs) That's just how it happens. Would I ever choose that? Would I ever go there? No. Give me a choice. I'm picking ice cream and cookies and, you know, right? I wouldn't pick that. But God, knowing that maybe direction needs to be adjusted, he would. And he would allow that. And see, often it's not until we are without something that we actually understand the value of something. Isn't it true that often when we lose a loved one, we, were, we come to the point where, wow, that was a lot more valuable than I thought it was. Or maybe we lose our health and we realize how important our health was. Or maybe we lose... Something? And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. It could be that God is allowing that graciously, that he would give me a, a new perspective. Here's what it says in Psalm 119. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. It caught me. Here's the second one. Second one. is suffering can bring exposure to our hearts. People are like tea bags. I mean, if I just tell the person next to you, you're like a tea bag. Not you are. I said you're like. I heard some people say you are a tea bag. You're not a tea bag. You're like a tea bag. Okay. I got to give really distinct, specific directions to this crowd. So people are like tea bags, and it, and if you want to know what's inside them, just drop them in hot water. Right. And see, sometimes I think God wants to bring to the surface some things that maybe are in us that aren't quite right. And the only way to do that is through difficulty. Would that be God's grace? Possibly. Possibly it would. See, heat or pressure reveals the content of who we are. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Consider it a sheer gift. I still wrestle with that point, but as I get older in my walk and my journey with God, I realize it's true. 
Consider it sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced in the open and it shows its true colors, which is a good thing. And then it says, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. In other words, sometimes we need some pressure. God knows that. Here's another one. Suffering can make me ready for what's next. Kind of like the preparation one that we talked about. It can make me ready for what's next. Many times what shapes us in life is not the easy times, but the difficult ones. Some of you here are qualified to speak into the lives of people like nobody else because of what you've been prepared by God to do. Some of you have been through stuff and God has prepared you to bring life. Some of you have walked through the storm. Some of you are in the middle of these things and it's preparing you. It's making you ready, if you will, for what's next, what God has. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 5. It says, verse 3 and 4, it says, we can rejoice. There it is again. It's kind of a weird thought that every time the suffering in Scripture comes up, it's connected to this idea of liking it. I don't know if I like that, right? But I think that's the idea that you begin to see it differently. That we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance or fortitude. Fortitude. And endurance develops strength of character. In other words, I have this part of who I am that is able to withstand because of who I am, not because of my circumstances, not because of my situation, but God, through the, through the allowing of the difficult things in life, because I live between the trees and the brokenness and all the things that were happening, God using that to bring me to a place where my character is by fire purified. That's the idea. And character then strengthens our confident hope and salvation. In other words, I'm not defeated, I'm expectant. I'm not knocked out. I'm, I'm ready for another battle. Lord, I understand that somehow in the middle of this you're doing that. And so here's what that says. Is that, and, and, and as I think about all these, all this makes me think of how we respond to suffering. The idea here is enduring it and allowing things to happen that God is in the middle of it. But instead, realizing that maybe God would be using the suffering, here's what we do. We want out. <laughs> We want to blame somebody. We want God to jump in and fix it. But in actuality, maybe we need this suffering to get us ready for the next thing that God is wanting to do that's bigger than us. Possibly. Here's the next one. Is that suffering can reveal the power of God. It can reveal the power of God that suffering is an opportunity for the redeeming work of God to be seen. In other words, because it's so dark, God can provide a contrast of being so light that God would allow himself in the midst of these difficult situations. So here's, here's what it says, and this is actually a context of a man that was born blind, and, and God is creating this opportunity for the redeeming work of who he is to be shown or revealed John chapter 9, verse 3, it's a blind guy, and they say, well, who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? And Jesus said, neither. This, and this is what he said, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. 
And so God gets all the praise when we trust his power and his presence to bring us through a difficult time. All of a sudden, God is still shown as a God that is able to do it. Here's the last one. Is that suffering can be a window of opportunity to, for hope to come alive. It's a window. It's a window. It might be a window in a burning home, but it's a window. It might be this idea that all hell is breaking loose and all hell is happening, but somehow in the midst of this, there's a window of opportunity from God that hope would come alive. And this scripture jumped out at me this week as I was preparing. It says in Romans chapter 8, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's contrasting what's happening now to what's going to happen. He says, the creation waits us. The creation waits in eager expectation. And by the way, that includes, you know, earthquake plates and, and storms and all, all that waiting. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, all those that would become related to God. For the creation was subject to frustration. And I think some of us today, we know that verse. For the creation was subject to frustration. We live between the trees. We live between the trees. And it says, not by its own choice. I mean, we didn't even do it. Matter of fact, most of what happens in our lives has really little to do with our choices. Might have to do with somebody else's choice, but really it has to do with something that maybe is happening that's bigger than that. And it says, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, by God's will. That he's allowing this. He's allowing this to happen. And here's why it's happening. In hope, that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So here's, here's the picture. Tree in the garden created this brokenness, this frustration. Tree in Revelation, the tree of life, it's a coming hope that can't compare with anything that's happening in the middle, except for one other tree. Tree of Jesus. So somehow in the middle of all the frustration, somehow in the middle of all the pain and all the suffering, that God would allow all of it, that somehow, some way, we would come in contact with that that would make, you, make us sons and daughters of God. God would do all of that for one purpose. That God would allow all of that. He would allow all the frustration. He would even subject all the people to this. That in somehow, some way, the hope of the one tree in the middle of all of it would change a life. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that is doing this. And so in the midst of the temporary, you know, we just have to have this incredible perspective that no matter how painful or what my current circumstance might be, it is only temporary. And that my right now is nothing to compare to what is to come in him. That we have this understanding. That we might have somehow uh, this eternal perspective that understands what really matters. 
That God is doing all this that we might be in relation to. That God would allow all of this, that somehow the frustration would give window opportunity for relationship. And it goes maybe something like this. That God allows the frustration to hopefully bring us to a place of freedom. God has given us every opportunity possible, as painful as it might be, to allow the relationship or the hope of the relationship to come alive. That's what God is doing. Do I fully understand it? No. And may we see that no matter how shaky or unsettling our lives might be in our current circumstance, that we would have this hope and this confident realization that God is active and trustworthy because of this story that he's allowing to happen. Let me pray with you today. Would you just bow your heads? I want to pray a specific prayer because I believe that many of you here today are saying I'm suffering I'm suffering God sees you he hasn't abandoned you he hasn't given up on you he doesn't not love you that's not anything of who God is just the opposite he's hoping that you would have this hope that comes from a relationship with him that makes everything else look so little. So if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I'm suffering. Would you just wave your hand at me? Just raise it. Just This is a simple gesture before the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm suffering. Lord, I pray for every hand that was just raised just now. Lord, I pray that we would have just a little glimpse of understanding, that we would have just a little glimpse of an idea of what you might be up to. But more than that, God, we would know that you are calling us and drawing us and wooing us and and begging us, oh God, to be in relationship with you, that there is a window for that decision to happen. So every hand that was raised, Lord, just to go with that, to say, Lord, I I choose you. God, I don't understand. I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm deep in sin because of my own brokenness, but I cry out to you as a Savior. I cry out to you as my Lord because I know that's the ultimate purpose, that, Lord, all this frustration would be somehow, some way to bring me to a place of freedom in you. Lord, let it be so. Lord, I give you my life. Lord, as I respond now in song, as I, as I lift my hands up, Lord, as I, I give my life, God, may you meet me in the next few moments, Lord, in a powerful way that I would know that I'm not alone. I'm not abandoned. You're right here. So, Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.